Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 72. Uh, that number seems like it should have more significance than it actually does. I know, it feels like it does. 72. What happened in 72? Oh, Nixon was elected. Yeah. yeah I don't remember that. Something about Nam. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, we're here in our mountain bunker, which is a little bit crowded today because yes. we had a bunch of people over to watch the Super Bowl, and some of them stuck around to watch us. We have up to over half a dozen members in our live studio audience. <laughs> yes, and we have two guests on the show. Uh, first of all, I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Hirosaki. <laughs> I didn't even do anything to fluster you there. No, but I want to like start talking in silly voices because I've been doing it for like three days and I really shouldn't be. <laughs> you have our permission to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll do it as I see appropriate while reading other people's emails. Okay. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. I'm sure they will. <laughs> uh, we have here in the mountain bunker with us uh, our familiar otter face, NotTube. I'm the euphemistically named NotTube. And... I think for the first time on the show... That's right. We have... Not Jacoby. <laughs> Absolutely Welcome. not him. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, these fine people are going to be helping us out by reading the responses that KM and I wrote to Colson's writing challenge, which he made in unsheathed number 68. Yeah. Not Jacoby and I are actually married. We, uh, we tied the knot. So Yeah. yeah. So you're <laughs> not, not, not married. <laughs> Say yes. 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 <laughs> I can control people's minds. Or at least their behaviors. Yes. Um anyway, we enjoyed the Super Bowl. It was exciting. It went down to the last uh minute, if not the last second. And I was almost right. I predicted in October that the Steelers would make it to the Super Bowl and win, though I didn't want them to. And they made it to the Super Bowl and did not win. So we're, we're happy you were wrong. I'm I'm. I would be happier about being wrong if they'd been facing another team, but that's you know can't do anything about that. Um, that was prep silver lining. Steelers didn't win. Yeah, silver lining. Steelers didn't win. I actually was talking to someone um, recently who was a Cowboys fan, and he said, that "I'm sorry." He was rooting strongly against the Steelers. He didn't like Green Bay, but he said he did not want the Steelers to come down to their house and win another Super Bowl which would put them, like, two ahead of any other team in the in the league. So he said, much as I don't like Green Bay, I don't want Pittsburgh to win. So I'm actually kind of surprised that. that Pittsburgh has won as many Super Bowls as they have. I would have expected <clears throat> Dallas to be the all-time leader or something like that. Um, yeah, Dallas was up there. Dallas had kind of two periods of being great. Pittsburgh had um, three, and they've just been real consistent for right. a long time. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like, what else are you going to do in Pittsburgh? Well, yeah, exactly. It's a football town. Anyway, we have a couple announcements. It's certainly well, not. One, it's certainly not a least. baseball town. It's not. Not now. <laughs> no, it used to be. Yeah, the, they um, have a nice baseball field. Um, 60, 69, 69, 71, That kind of era. Uh, but um, Gazunhut. But uh, anyway, we have a live show coming up. We're going to be down in Dallas, actually, Addison, Texas. But What's left of Dallas? Yeah. So hopefully they'll have cleaned up after their party by then. An explosion of snow, ice, and strippers. <laughs> that sounds like a story you should be writing. Yeah. Or Pyro should be writing. Or Pyro. Well, when he's, he hasn't done, when he's done with the Spanish Civil War story. Um. But we will be down there for Furry Fiesta, which is coming up in three weeks. Yeah, three weeks from this weekend. Three weeks from this weekend. Yep. So it'll likely be the week after you hear this. Yeah. Or something like that. Anyway, we're going to be doing a live show down there. Um, not sure when it is, but keep checking the programming and we will let you know as we know more about it. Watch our FA account and all that. Um, other stuff that happened... Uh, this week, actually, in advance of the Super Bowl, a um, again. Yeah, sorry. A site that reviews uh, gay romance books posted a review of Out of Position, 
Uh, I'd sent them a couple. I'd sent them out of position and isolation play. And the site is called reviewsbyjessiewave.com. And uh, they posted a very nice review, which I tweeted about. And they are going to post a review of isolation play next week. So that was kind of cool. He's gotten a lot of comments. He'd had over like 500 views the first day it was up. Oh, wow. um, It's a high traffic site. I actually had one of my other fans write in and say, oh, my God, there's a site where I go to review gay books, and they reviewed your book, and it's so cool. So, other And it's gay, and you're there. Yeah. So it was cool. Uh, they were very nice about it. The guy who reviewed the book was in touch um, while he was reading it, and uh, it, was all, uh, it was all very cool. And uh, you are still working on Summerhill? That's coming along pretty decent, and uh, I have I have you know immersed myself in the current of just letting myself tell this story that my brain finally understands at least on some level, which is cool. That's yeah. a great point to get to, and you should hold that up as a model to the rest of the writers out there that perseverance does eventually pay. Yeah, off. it only took me a year and a half to, for me to figure out what I was trying to say, but eventually you got there. Yeah, got through the long dark tea time of the Summer Hill. Yes. And uh, not tube over there has a something to brag about. Oh yes, uh, my uh, my first book was uh, uh, released at uh, at uh, further confusion and sold out, and then no one could get it for a while. But it's now available again from furplanet.com. dot com. Cool. So what's it called? It is called Smiley and the Hero. What's it about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was getting to that. It's a uh, it's about a get there faster. <laughs> It's about a young rabbit who uh, lives in a, um, a impoverished uh, port town ruled by a tyrannical giant wolf named uh, Smiley O'Hannigan. And um, he and his mother live in extreme poverty. They're on the edge of starvation and eviction. Uh, but one day he finds uh, in his possession the key to Cloud Nine, which is Smiley's nightclub fortress and treasure vault. So he decides that he's going to try to sneak in the gangster's back door to attempt to save himself and his mother from from poverty so why is hilarity he a hero? ensues big pardon why is he a hero oh for that you'll have to read and the the book is kind of about uh what heroism is and uh, different ideas that we have about heroism and 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 i'm um, even though it's a fantasy setting um and it's you know it's told with these sort of broad storytelling strokes it really is about you know what it is you need to do to be a hero in 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 your life so that was cool. what I was attempting to 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 get to with that. But mainly, I just wanted it to, to be an exciting story and a, and a suspenseful read and, and and something that people would enjoy. Cool. Um, I've read and enjoyed it. Likewise and likewise. Yeah, I've had uh, pretty positive feedback so far. So. Cool. Um, if you think you won't like it, you can you can read it and tell me about it as long as you read it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Kit, did I have any other announcements that I had to make? Um, I think we have an upcoming convention, and that's about it. Does uh, Jacoby have anything to... I'm sorry, not Jacoby have anything to say? <gasps> uh, I'm sorry, I thought Jacoby was here for a minute. Yeah, no, we look alike, but we're absolutely not each other <laughs> right. at all. Um, I lost two pounds. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's great. You're there. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> um, other than that, no. Um, I'm working on stuff, and hopefully, uh, a bunch of short stories should be popping up throughout the year for me. So we'll, well see we'll how that goes. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to read our uh, challenge stories? Ready Absolutely. as I'll ever be. Um, Cam and I do not know which story is being read by which person. Yeah, but I honestly have no idea. Um, Kit, we we sent our stories into Kit, and he sent them out to these folks. And in order to prevent any semblance of favoritism, um, Jacoby is going to read story A, and Not Tube is going to read story number one. <laughs> and we will make steak sauce. We will make steak sauce. <laughs> um, what we were going to do is we're going to post the stories up on our FA account at the time we post this podcast, so you guys can read them, and then you will vote in the comments. As to whom you believe authored which story. And not Jacoby and, and I have our own theories, but we don't know either. So, yeah. Exactly. So, I assume you 
people have decided which one of you is going to go first. I thought there was a coin toss or some kind of ceremony to determine who goes first. Or We don't have a giant ridiculous coin, so I think uh, maybe... Uh, you should go first. Uh, oh, wait. Our producer Wolf has something Kit here, Wolf. it looks like. Kit has something here. Oh, he does have a giant ridiculous coin. Oh, my goodness. What the heck? Wow. Does everyone have a giant ridiculous coin these days? It is the most giantest and so. ridiculousest coin I've ever seen. You have to tell him which one is heads. Well, uh, not Jacoby's, definitely tails. So we'll go oh. with that. Oh. I see what you I did. I thought there. you weren't going to get drunk before you came on our podcast. I'm not. <laughs> He's totally drunk. He didn't mean that. It, it is kind of weird though <laughs> that I finished my glass before KM did. That kind of concerns me a little bit. I've had like a sip too, and that's it. I've polished mine off too, actually. Uh huh. All right. I'm a lightweight. Wow. Wow. This is a really gorgeous coin. Um. So. I'm not touching that. You flip it. All right. I'm not being responsible for it. So I'm just going to let it drop on the floor. Is that okay? <laughs> Is there a clear heads and tails? All right. One of, one of you guys call heads. Heads. Maybe the home team needs to call head or call first. Tails. Tails is that? Yes. Heads. Heads. All right. I'm reading first. So this is a story entitled Story One. The border collie watched as Justin stirred the paper umbrella through his drink. Swizzle, swizzle, swizzle. The movements were too smooth and natural to be anything but unconscious, which only added to their mesmerizing charm. Simple, regular, repeating. Swizzle, swizzle, swizzle. Danny! The border collie looked up at Justin, his blunt muzzle twitching in that telltale rabbit way. Come on, seriously! Now the rabbit was swizzling the umbrella through his drink with more harsh, jerky motions. These were more deliberate, Danny decided. These were on purpose. Sorry, he said, his voice barely audible over the din of the noisy bar. Justin brought his free hand up and rubbed it at the side of his face as he sighed. See, Danny, this is what I'd been talking about, he said. He now stared back at his own drink as he fiddled with the umbrella some more. You just... His eyes shut, and he let out a soft sigh. The ice in his drink clinked against the glass. You always get like this. Suddenly, Danny was no longer paying attention to paper umbrellas or swirling ice cubes. His eyes were locked with the rabbits now, and his throat tightened as he held back an apologetic whimper. It always made the, feel collie, it made, always made the collie feel terrible to know that he'd done something to make his boyfriend angry. But he also knew that Justin didn't appreciate apologies when Danny wasn't sure what he was supposed to be sorry for. The apology slipped out anyway. I'm sorry, Danny said. He picked up his own drink and held it in both paws down near his lap. What could he follow that up with before Justin got more upset? Should he venture a guess? I didn't mean to... No, Danny, just stop, Justin interrupted, his brow furrowing as he reached up and pressed his fingers up between his ears. I'm sick of not being able to say ten words without losing your attention again and again and again. The collie curled his tail back against his bar stool. His fingers slid more possessively around his glass. He'd never really liked Mai Tai as much anyway, he thought to himself. Fine, he murmured, trying his hardest not to break eye contact. I'm listening, I promise. Justin readjusted the fur atop his head, then pinched his fingertips against his temples. His eyes screwed shut, and he bit his lower lip. I knew it was a dumb idea to try to do this here. So let's leave, Danny offered. We can go back to your place and... No, Danny, I don't want to go back to my place. The rabbit slapped his open palm down against the bar as he glared back at the collie. Let's just... He trailed off, shaking his head, bringing his glass up. He fought to get the straw into his mouth, the bent end swaying back and forth a few times, before he finally managed to clamp his lips around the end of it, his face wrinkling up with irritation as he took several long sips. If Justin was trying to get at something important, Danny was at a loss as to what it could be. We can stay out drinking if you want, the collie offered, or we can go someplace else. Maybe check out a movie or go bowling or... The rabbit smacked his glass back down on the bar hard enough that a small ice cube jumped out and slid off onto the floor. You're not getting it, he snapped. I don't want to go anywhere with you. His gaze fell down toward his own lap. 
Not anymore. Danny felt the inside of his mouth dry up. He resisted the urge to just turn to his own drink. This wasn't what he thought it was. It couldn't be that... This isn't how Justin would do it. If you want to go home, he offered. I don't mind. I'll call you tomorrow? With almost exaggerated slowness, Justin lifted his head back up. His eyes swiveled back up to meet Danny's with the same marked deliberateness. The rabbit was glowering. Danny then realized, I don't want you calling me. I just want you to just... to just do something else. Find something else to occupy your time. Just like you always find something else to, to occupy your mind. This wasn't happening, Danny told himself again. He was just misinterpreting things, because he was the little space cadet that Justin always accused him of being. This was some silly misunderstanding, that was all. This was just... Are you breaking up with me? The words left Danny's mouth before he could stop them. Justin once more paused to pick up his drink, and he drained it the rest of it in one go, finishing it off with a series of loud bubbling sounds through the straw. He sighed, set the empty glass down, and slid it away, catching the eye of the bartender and silently signaling for another with his paw. Turning his attention back to Danny, he sighed and said, y Yes, no, I... Yes. Well, which is it? Danny's thumbs were wet as they kept rubbing back and forth along the rim of the glass he held in his lap. I mean, it's either a yes or a no, isn't it? See, this is exactly why I'm doing this, Justin said, leaning back in his stool. Paw braced at the edge of the bar to keep himself propped up. I mean, you're cute and you're smart, but you're just not all there, are you, Danny? The barter collie looked down into his glass. I'm here, he murmured. One of his claws flicked the umbrella in his drink. But you're not, are you? The bartender set down Justin's fresh drink. The rabbit ignored it for now. It's like... It's like no matter what you and I do together, part of you is always off in your own world where I'm guessing things are more interesting. And so you're breaking up with me? It took Danny effort to make eye contact with Justin again. But he made himself do it, no matter how harshly the rabbit was looking back at him. We've only been going out a few weeks. Don't I deserve more of a chance than that? I think I deserve more of your attention than I get, Justin said. He picked his drink up, but just used it to gesture accusingly at the collie. I take you out, I treat you right, and I try to do all these nice things for you, and you just never seem to notice. Danny was taken in by the way the paper umbrella tumbled and, swir tumbled and twirled between the ice cubes as he shifted his paws back and forth. I notice, he insisted, however quietly. I notice and I care. He picked the umbrella out of the drink, folded it up, and stuck it back in before setting the glass down. Maybe I'm just bad at saying it. Maybe you're bad at saying a lot of things. At once, the look of annoyance on Justin's face turned into one of guilt. Oh, shit, I, I didn't mean that. And I came out all wrong. Yeah? Guess I'm not the only one who's bad at saying things then, huh? Shift Danny shifted his butt off the stool and hopped to his feet. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his wallet. How much are these things, by the way? Justin chewed his lower lip. No, look, don't worry about it. I Okay, then I won't, Danny said, already starting to stride past the rabbit, making his way toward the door. Thanks. Danny, wait, hold up, the rabbit called after him, but the collie didn't stop. Look, I just, I wanted to say, hey, I'll call you, all right? Danny didn't turn to look back. Sure, he said, over the din of the bar crowd. Maybe I'll be paying enough attention to remember to answer. Thank you. Um, that was story number one. We will now have Not Jack to be reading story A. <laughs> story number A. <laughs> story number A. I'm kind of depressed now, actually. So am I. Uh, who wants to go on a date? This story, <laughs> this story is brought to you by the number E. Not, not, not the letter, the number. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, this is story A. Avalon was the kind of bar you went to when you didn't plan to stay all night. When all you wanted was to have a quick drink before dinner or after a movie. It could almost be called a lounge rather than a bar, with small colorful lights over cocktail tables, low armchairs, and high bar stools. Modern art, softly lit, hung between the shaded windows that overlooked a busy street. 
It was just past eight when a border collie held the door for a rabbit, both of them dressed casually in button-down shirts and slacks. The rabbit didn't wait for the border collie, but headed directly for an empty bar table. He climbed up on the bar stool and set his elbows on the table while the border collie signaled the bartender. Adam watched Eric's black and white muzzle as he talked to the giraffe behind the bar. He sighed and rubbed a paw over one of his long ears. Eric had definitely picked up on his mood, if he didn't know the reason for it, and maybe, just maybe, he'd ordered the drink that he knew Adam liked. Even if he didn't, it probably didn't matter. Adam was going to need more than one drink tonight, unless Eric just walked right out, which wasn't like the Border Collie at all. He'd get his Cosmo eventually. He looked around at the other couples in the bar, all straight. It would have been nice to go to a gay bar, but he didn't want to run into any of their friends. Eric was coming back towards him with a highball glass and something in a martini glass that looked pink. Adam's ears lifted hopefully. Then again, if Eric had finally gotten the message, too late, it would, have made, it would make the next 15 minutes even harder than they were already going to be. It's not a Cosmo, Eric said, putting the drink down, but it's a house specialty. They make it with grapefruit juice instead of lime, and they use Kirsch instead of triple stack. It's supposed to be really good. I think you might like it. He slid the drink towards Adam. The rabbit didn't touch it. I like Cosmos, he said. I know, Eric rushed in, but just try it. If you don't like it, I'll get you a Cosmo, I promise. Adam clenched his teeth. I don't want to try it. Honestly, it didn't smell bad, but that wasn't the point. Look, Eric, it ain't about that. It, it, it's just everything. The border collie's eyes flicked around. His ears drooped. I'll go get you a Cosmo. I, I'm sorry, Adam, I just... No! Adam held up a paw. Jesus, don't apologize again. I'm sick of it. Sorry. Eric bit his lip. He tipped his glass to his lips and sat hunched, waiting for Adam to keep talking. God, it was going to be like kicking a child. If only Eric would be a grown-up about this. He had to see this wasn't working, didn't he? After their last date, when Adam had basically pushed him into the bedroom and said, shut up and get naked, could he possibly think that everything was hunky-dory? Listen, he said. I like you, but I, I don't think we're... I don't think this is working. It was worse than he'd anticipated. Eric's eyes got wide. Adam wouldn't have thought that the border collie's ears could go further down, but they did. It's the drinks, right? I know you like Cosmos, but it ain't the drinks. It ain't just the drinks. It's, it's the movies. It's the clubs. It's been three months. We don't have a favorite restaurant. We don't have a favorite bar. You get antsy if we just sit around either of our apartments. I, I can't keep up with you. Eric kept looking at the faux Cosmo he'd gotten for Adam. The rabbit slapped the table, and that jolted Eric's attention back, to, back up to him. I'll slow down, Eric sniffed. I'll, we can go back to places you like, like Fort Bistro Pub, even though they undercooked your fries. Don't. Quit trying to make yourself into something you're not. Adam took the fake Cosmo and lifted it, hoping that would get Eric to do something normal, like take a sip of his own drink or sit up straight. You are who you are. You don't have to drink that, Eric reached out. Adam jerked the glass away from the border collie's fingers, splashing it over the edge of the table. Listen to me, Eric! The dog stared at the spilled drink on the white patterned table. Let me just grab some napkins, I'll clean that up. Eric started to slink off the bar stool. No, don't! Adam pressed fingers to his eyes. It's okay. You don't have to make everything better. Sometimes you can't, you just can't change things. Do you really believe that? Eric's voice was soft. No, Adam wanted to say. I'm just saying that so I can get you to fuck off. But he could see the nervous twitching of the dog's whiskers, the soft fuzz on the underside of his muzzle trembling. If Eric was just being touchy-sensitive, that would be one thing, but the pathetic kind of touchy-sensitive made Adam want to run away. Yes, I do. I mean, I just don't think there's a future here, and it's not fair for you to go on. Oh god, he'd said that. Not fair to you. He hated when other people did that to him, because it made them out to be some sort of parent or authority figure who could decide what was fair for him. Eric must have felt the same, because he did not say, I guess you know best, but rather, I don't mind. Adam rolled his eyes and leaned his head back up at the ceiling. I know you don't mind, he said. You just want to find the thing that is going to make me happy. Well, what if the thing that makes me happy is leaving you? That was the worst thing he said yet. 
Eric kind of sagged in on himself, shoulders slumping, and now he did take a long sip of his drink, avoiding Adam's eyes. Even then, Adam couldn't feel sorry for him. All he felt was frustration that Eric was making everything so difficult. I wish we could have just talked about it, Eric said, instead of you springing it on me like this. We ain't talking about it now! Other couples nearby stared at them. Adam lowered his voice. I'm just telling you how I feel and you're whining about it. That should be it, right? I tell you how I feel and that's the end of it. If I don't want to be in this relationship, then there is no relationship. He swept his paw along the table. Finito, end of story. Eric heaved a sigh. He grabbed his glass and stunk, slunk off the bar stool. Bye, he said, his voice barely audible. I hope you find what you're looking for. Adam watched the border collie return his glass to the bar and shuffle out, tail between his legs, ears down. He exhaled when the door closed. Now he did feel kind of, kind of feel like a heel, but it was a relief to think that he could go back to one of the restaurants he'd liked and relax without worrying about what was going to set off the hyper border collie. His paw was still damp with a splash of the spilled drink. He dabbed at it with a napkin as the smell of cranberry, cherry, and grapefruit reached his nose. It smelled intriguing. He regarded the pink liquid balefully. Well, one drink wouldn't hurt. He checked to make sure Eric wasn't pressed up against one of the outside windows, watching, and then picked up the glass and took a slip. A sip. Then he took another. Damn. It was pretty good, after all. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I actually, after listening to that, I'm actually really amused that there are several elements that weren't in what Coulson told us to do, but that we both included anyway. There were a lot of similar points that I noticed that we both included. Yeah, it was uh, it was intriguing. I'm actually curious to see if people are going to be able to figure that one out. Yeah. For what it's worth, uh, both uh, not Jacoby and I... Uh, had pegged uh, each of our stories as being yours, Kyle. But uh, listening to his again, I, I do, I do see some of the reasons why he thinks that you wrote it. Well, uh, but uh, what I was going to say, we have an we have an audience here, and we'll take a poll of them after the show. And yeah, see, I'm curious to see what people think. See what people think about one or the other. And in a future episode of Unsheathed or on the FA account or something, we will eventually reveal who wrote, who wrote which one. But, uh, Six months thank later, you. we enjoyed we enjoyed the readings. Um, I believe that was uh, that was the first time either of us had heard the other story, so that was a interesting experience as well. And uh, I like the way you handled the breakup. <laughs> I was going to say, I like oh, the way you wrote the border collie. <laughs> <clears throat> but well, let's say we moved on to a couple letters. Radio, I'll start. Please do. Dear Fox and Otter, I've asked a few people about this, but I thought I'd get your opinion, too. A while back, I showed someone a draft of the first chapter of a book I've been working on. Along with feedback about adding more dialogue, which I tried to do, he also added that my main protagonist and antagonist had to be clearly defined in the first chapter. He was giving this advice in the context of submitting to a literary agent, and I know they're notorious for short attention spans, but is this really necessary? I attempted to do a rewrite with the antagonist introduced literally in the first few pages, and it looked forced to me, like I dropped a 60 megaton atomic hit that this guy was the bad guy. Ignore me! Uh, instead, he replied that I still had no clear antagonist. There's your funny point. Funny yeah. voice. I've begun to wonder where this person got this bit of advice to begin with, since it seems completely unlike the vast majority of books I've read. I know neither Out of Position nor Shadow of the Father give away the antagonist in the first two chapters. I have two questions, then. First, is it actually the norm in contemporary fiction to introduce everyone and everything in the first few pages? Second, and this goes for all fiction, if marketability gets in the way of aesthetics, should aesthetics come first? Many thanks, Three Tales. Um, Three Tales is the one who wrote uh, Basecraft Zero Stratus. That is correct. Yes. Um, my feeling is you do it's it's kind of a general rule that you need to have the at least the main character established in the first chapter. Yeah. Um, or at least one of them. Or at least one of them. Which immediately makes me think of books that break that rule but yeah. you know that then they know they're breaking it and etc. Again like we've like we've said many times you need to know what the rules are and how to use them before you're allowed to break them. 
And while you don't necessarily need to introduce the antagonist in the first chapter, you do have to introduce the conflict. Yes. You have to have a sense of why we're following this character in this story. Yeah. Um, Just kind of, you know, this is main character Bob. Bob woke up. Bob brushed his teeth. Bob had breakfast. Bob went to work. I think it's an important distinction, though, that your reader doesn't always have to know that you've introduced the conflict. In, in, I mean, well, it doesn't have to be like you know. You, Bob had always wanted to win the Daytona yeah. 500, and you need to choose a conflict within the within the within the protagonist. To, there but, has to be something to keep the reader going. But the reader doesn't always necessarily need to know what you know the big what all the fuss is going to be about. But most readers, even if they don't pick up specifically on what it is, um, one of the things we talk about is that characters at the beginning of a story have to be in an equilibrium state, but it's an unstable equilibrium. There's something missing from their lives or something that they, yes. they need. And readers usually pick up on um, on the fact that even though someone may appear to be in a normal, or not normal, in a stable state, it's not a completely happy state, that there's something missing. And they might not be able to articulate it, but... Um, yeah, I think a good, a good example is actually, if you look at like Dev at the beginning of Out of Position, he's a successful college football player, you know, he seems to sort of have what he wants or what he thinks he wants, and then he sort of gets thrown for a loop and then realizes, like, oh, I have this personal identity issue that really needs resolving. Right. And it doesn't get resolved for a long time. Right. And even when he still thinks he's – um, the, the whole opening scene in the bar mm-hmm. where they're going after the different women and stuff, he's – it's uh, I, I I hate dissecting my own writing like this, but the the women in the bar are not objects of affection; they're objects of status, right? And that's something that people might not be able to say just from that first bar scene. Oh, that's something that he needs to change in his life is that the you know his romantic partner yeah. is about romance and not about you know other stuff, but. It's kind of in there because, and, and and it's not like oh he's just like you know going after women to have them. Like he deliberately picks someone who he thinks is going to be a challenge to pick up, right? And you know, so it is sort of like you know, kind of like you said, it's just it's a it's a status symbol. And his decision to pick up on that um, quote unquote female is singed spoiler. It's a guy <laughs> when uh, one of his teammates says, "Oh, I was thinking of going for her," and then he's like, "Yeah, no." Yeah. I'm going. I'm going to take her, and that's when yeah. he makes the decision to do. Is when someone else wants her. Yeah, it's like oh, now now that it's been called out, no, I'm I'm setting my foot down. Um, so as far as uh, marketability and aesthetics, I think you should always go with aesthetics. Yeah, unless you're writing a nonfiction piece or you're writing a piece on spec for someone right. with specific guidelines. But um, write the best book you can. Yeah, and it'll find its market. But Kyle. Isn't sacrificing aesthetics? Isn't sacrificing marketability for aesthetics risky? Do we really want to be taking risks when we write our books? I, you pose an excellent question. <laughs> it's almost as if someone had written it down and handed it to you for the purposes of this discussion. Um, you always have to be taking risks. If you're not taking risks, then you're doing it wrong. Hi, Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> No, I told, I tell, uh, I want to shout out to Foosball for that specifically because I have to remind him of that every now and then too when we have conversations about writing. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're doing the same safe thing over and over again, then, uh, you know, hi, Mr. Piers Anthony, you have a lot of money, but, (laughs) uh, no, no, no. Piers Anthony's early books are quite entertaining. Um, Piers Anthony was great before he jumped the shark. And I'm willing to bet that in his latest dance book, he does that literally. <laughs> no, that's all, that only depends on if a reader sent that pun into him. Oh, Otherwise, no. But uh, yeah, not to not to bag on Piers Anthony, but I mean, definitely you should be taking risks. If you're not taking risks, then why are you writing? Yeah. My, my, to be fair, my problem with Piers Anthony is that I like him, and I wish he would write the stuff that I like again. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the the first few Xanth books were really creative, really fun. And I'm actually a fan of the Incarnations of Immortality series as well. I think um, they're, they're not 
even in quality. I loved I loved but, the uh, first one, and the second one broke my spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it was the reverse poop, wasn't it? Uh, that, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even. I don't even remember what yeah. it was about. You guys that got book. this podcast without me, right? There were so <laughs> yeah, so I'm many done. things. But also his um, uh, what was it called? Cluster. Uh, the book Thousand Star is a really fun. I haven't read that one. It's a it's a really fun romance. He has a tendency to put in kind of weird puzzles where he's like, "This would be a neat puzzle," and then yeah. he makes his characters unable to figure it out. Them, but yeah. he does that all over the place. Um, and the uh, the Split Infinity series mm-hmm. I like quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> Our audience is uh, of unevenly opinion. dissenting, but uh, <laughs> but yes. Quick, let's mention the Thomas Covenant books again. Boo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Any um, other, what else does he ask about? You know, I, I do need to reiterate again that I disagree that you need the antagonist spelled out at the very beginning. Yeah. But I will reinforce that, yes, as soon as possible, you need your protagonist and your protagonist's conflict on the page on in some form or another. I would be cautious about... Spelling out everything at, right. at the beginning, though. I mean, uh, the, the process of reading, part of the joy of reading is in the process of discovery. So, if you're not keeping secrets from your readers, then you're giving them no reason to continue. Exactly. But yeah, but don't don't take three chapters. All other all other right and rules still apply oh, yeah. with this piece <laughs> of advice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, don't spend three chapters just getting your reader to see how awesome your character is before you throw a curveball into that, because that's going to be really boring. And there are... I mean, even uh, even Tolkien with Lord of the Rings, who is the like master of, I'm going to take 15 pages to do a piece of world building that never enters into the story again later, um, starts out Lord of the Rings with the conflict, with Gandalf showing up and, yeah. you know, there's this thing that must be done. Oh, adventure. I'm so beflustered. Yes. <laughs> If Sauron ever gets his hand on this ring, the world will suffer. Quickly, take the ring to where he lives. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you get us there with magic? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was going to say that a lot of people believe an exception to that is in the science fiction and fantasy worlds where people love their world building. And we've talked about this mm-hmm. before, where you can spend 20 pages detailing how this society works and how all these things come about, but you're going to lose a lot of readers. There's some readers that really get into that, and they will read. They, the these readers. are the people who read things like Rendezvous with Rama. Yeah, we I was, need- was going to say, that's the... Uh, those are the people that want like the Lord of the Rings source books and read those. But We, uh, we need the information when it's relevant and not yeah. until then. Otherwise, yeah. we'll forget it. If we don't have a reason to retain, then we won't. You need to start off with a, a main character. They, the audience has to have a reason to want to continue to read about him. Whether that's, we like him and he's doing something a little risky, or um, we don't like him and we don't want him to get what he wants, or something's kind of vaguely missing and right. we want to see if he gets it. But there has to be some kind of tension, at least at the very start of the story. Yes doesn't need to be an antagonist who's coming along and slapping the hero or anything right. like that. And in uh, in Star Wars, in fact, the main antagonist doesn't show up. Um, he doesn't meet the protagonist until... Um, and even then, barely. We, we yeah. meet the antagonist first. I mean, the opening yeah. shot of Star Wars is one of the the best of all cinema, I think. You know, with, you know, you know everything you need to. There's the giant ship and the tiny little one. Right. And that's that's our, you know... That that's our introduction to the world, and 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 you don't meet Luke Skywalker right away. You meet meet like here's Darth Vader in the Empire, and this is what they want. And now it's like okay, now the conflict is stop the Empire from getting this. And I'm glad we didn't meet Luke Skywalker right away because if we had to be like, uh, screw this guy. Right, he's a little underwhelming compared to like seven foot tall battle cyborg in giant black armor <laughs> who chokes people with his mind and, then uh, and hand to start with. Actually, what? And hand to start Oh, yeah, and his hand, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't mind choke until later on the Death Star. Right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, have we beaten this question to death? Yes. Okay. Let's move on and stop talking about Star Wars. All right. Except we're not going to. Oh, no. 
in case you hadn't figured out what the Lincoln theme of this podcast is. Dear Unsheath, I'm sorry for the wall of text, and if you would like, skip to the bold at the end of the message if you want to get to the crux of the argument. Everything before that is preface. Uh, I do not like... We're going to read the preface. Ha ha! Now, I'm not certain if you've had this question before, but through my years of writing, I've often come across this, and I would greatly appreciate your input. As a general note and background, I do dabble in writing, and I've been published for my mundane works in a few anthologies, poetry, speculative fiction, and I was a collaborator on a textbook. It is really just within the past few years that I'm realizing the awesome freedom of writing within the fandom, which is also something I've gone on rants about. As K.M. Hirosaki can certainly attest to, if you were to write a Star Wars fiction, you have a pre-established universe that is based on canon works, and as such, you cannot suddenly make Jar Jar Banks a likable character. <laughs> oh, wait. I actually finished that sentence myself, and it turns out he said much the same thing. A non-annoying kind of Gungan that anyone would want a movie of. The same is true of essentially every other fandom, save for furry, and I believe you have mentioned this on several occasions. Keeping this in mind, I find that some of the more prolific writers, both in and out of the fandom, tend to write in a very formulaic fashion, almost as if their actual method of writing is canon. While he may not be within the fandom, let us mention Brian Jacques as an example. The storyline for every book is essentially the same. Uh, cryptic riddles, dead mouse revealed to a young good guy who wields a magic sword, a mole sidekick that says Bohar a lot and blushes behind his claws, and suddenly a sailing scene for no good reason other than that he felt nautical and wanted to have the river otter sing a jaunty tune. <laughs> Give me an F1, I'll sing a jaunty tune. <laughs> Which is fine. You'll sing a lot of tunes. All that is mixed in from that point, or uh, all sorry, all that is mixed in from that point on is simple trope material, which on its own is not bad. But at a certain point, you realize that once you have read ten, you have actually successfully read the same book ten times, each read through a different interpretation on the source material. This is just one example out of the many which I could name. Stephen King and Terry Goodkind are other favorites of mine to use in this. Stephen King. I disagree that one a little bit. I haven't he read has, enough Terry Goodkind. He know. has Stephen King has his tropes that he repeats, and you know a Stephen King book when you read it very easily. I, I'll, I'll grant that, but I think I, he does one thing about Stephen King is he really does try to challenge himself and, and write something different every time. Yeah, whether he's successful is you can you can argue about that, but he does try. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I would say actually for a horror writer, Dean Koontz is much more uh, an example of that. Dean Koontz is my arch nemesis. We one does of us, he know this? One we will die. <laughs> one of us will die on the battlefield with each other. None right? can die while the other survives. <laughs> None can live while the other dies. No wait. No, Dean Koontz has like a bunch of elements that just repeat themselves over and over in his books. Like, there's always an orphan, there's always Southern California, there's always... There's always a, a, a crazed uh, a villain with a sexually deviant past. Right. And a car chase. Yes, and a car chase. And what's funny is that my there are a few Dean Koontz books that I actually like, mm -hmm. and those are the ones that deviate from his formula. Watchers. Uh, Watchers... No, no, I'm sorry, not Watchers. Uh, Midnight. I Midnight. Mix, mix those up. Midnight yes. and Lightning are two of my favorites. Yes. What about Oddkins? Uh, Oddkins is really interesting. Y yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's like Dean Koontz's illustrated children's book. Children's book. It's like Toy Story if Dean Koontz wrote it. <laughs> yeah, Mimic was actually or not Mimic. What is that? The um, never mind. I can't remember what it's, it's called. Like uh, yeah. Oh no, I've run over Stephen King. I'm Dean Koontz. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he backs the car up again. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he goes on about that. Um, putting into perhaps other terms, I often read the following story. Straight, in quotes, guy bumps into gay guy. Gay guy shows the straight guy he's really gay through ongoing interaction. Internal turmoil and angst. Suddenly rainbows appear and the guy realizes he is in love. But what will his parents think? Luckily, the power of love comes through and saves the day. Hey, don't make hey. fun about a position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and waterways. Um... Even this is formulated to an extent, and I know it might be nitpicky, but there are more often than not examples where the same author has written the same plot line as above five times. Okay, I've only written it twice. Just changing who, where, and what position they eventually experiment with in bed. They use the same species of background flavor characters and definitely favor the same writing conventions, terminologies, and overarching themes. 
I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but when you can break a story down into a precise mathematical equation prior to opening the cover, I do not know if it garners you any respect from your fellow authors, and I would imagine it causes you to lose readership, even in the fandom, where sometimes the poorly crafted can be revered solely due to the once-upon-a-time lack of material. Um, interestingly, if you come upon a successful formula, repeating it over and over again will not lose you fans. No. No, it won't. And given for some of the fan mail I've gotten, I know that this would be the case. I get um, really mad if you don't repeat it. Sometimes. John Norman. Wait, the Gore series? I've lost track of how many times I've gotten comments on stories like, this story was great. Can you write another story with the same characters in which pretty much the same thing happens? And it's uh -huh. like, no. It would save time if you just read that story again. <laughs> well, I think it's the same impulse that gets people to watch sitcoms, you know? We well, want yeah. a familiar, familiar situation with familiar characters. <laughs> we found something we know we like. Oh, we that I... Michelle. And what? to some extent, that's, it's because it's a, it's a safe story to watch or to read, because you kind of know how it's going to turn out, and you're just interested in what little different flavors of it. I mean, Harlequin romances. Mm, well, the people who write, there's, there's a woman... I don't remember how many romances she's written, but it was in the many hundreds over like 20 years. She's written like 800 romances. And Holy she crap. says, they all have a formula. And I will tell you what the formula is. You know, young woman in situation where she's in peril of some sort, she's going to be forced to marry someone or she's going to lose her inheritance, runs into Hunk who doesn't really care about her. She's thrown together with him. Eventually they fall in love and he carries her away. And she's like... I have an outline, basically, which I just copy for each new book, and I just, what you change is the set and the, some of the characteristics of the people, but people who read Harlequin romances want to read the same story over and over again, and there are many yeah. people in the fandom who want to read the same story this is, over this and over This is the sort again. of thing that allows Danielle Steele to plagiarize herself. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Laurel K. Hamilton. Uh, I just mentioned that to give you an aneurysm. Uh, okay, so here's the actual question. With the modern boom of furry literature, how can we stop from setting ourselves up in the same formula, where everyone knows the species we will pick, which plot elements happen when, and how the story ends before they even scry past the cover? Um, I feel as if the answer is no. But he didn't ask a yes he or no question. He didn't ask a yes or no question. <laughs> um, from the perspective, anyway, maybe his question was, should we stop ourselves from setting ourselves up in the same formula? Um, anyway, formulas are easy, and when we all begin, sometimes we focus less on the big picture and focus more on the ease and the completion aspect as opposed to the quality aspect. Again, if I could get your feelings on this, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your time and for having success successfully tackled this monster of an email, ampersand estet. Um, you know, I... It, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about taking risks with your writing. Mm. But at the same time, if I, I know there are people out there who write the same kind of story over and over again and have a fan following who want to read that same kind of story over and over again. And, you know, the fans are getting what they want, and the writer's obviously happy writing the same thing over and over again. So who's to say that, that who, who, who among us should call them... <laughs> I was listening Out. to, um, I think it was This American Life. It was some program on NPR. I think it was This American Life. And they were contrasting dolphins and otters. And they said, writers are like otters. Because a dolphin, if you give the dolphin a fish for a trick, will do the same trick over and over and over to get the same fish. And an otter doesn't like to do that. An otter will not never do the same trick the same way twice. He wants to do something different to get a... Uh, uh, to get the fish. He still wants the fish, but he wants to do something different. And, uh, you know, I feel like... This is 100% true, by the way. It's true, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 like, I will vote for this as being gospel. One, one of the things that... Uh, KM has a lot of interesting tricks. Worries me is, you know, so I thought, oh, now I have a, now I have a book out. I'm going to build up an audience and... and um, and uh, th then people will be more interested in the next thing that I write. And I thought, wait, wait a minute. The book that I'm working on now couldn't be more different from the one that I just th that I just put out. So the entire audience that I built up m 
may not necessarily be interested in the next thing that thing that I'm writing. Yeah. So, I mean that 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 is the risk. But for me, I I don't want to do the same thing twice. I really, you know, I've explored that territory. I may want to come back to it if I can think of something new and different to do with it. But I don't want to tell that story again. I already told it again through rewrites and rewrites and rewrites. <laughs> but I do think some writers want to scratch that same itch again. They like kind of exploring that theme again and again and again and again, kind of looking at it from different angles. Well, we we have our issues that we, that we know we're working through mm-hmm. with writing. I mean, we have our things that you know we want to explore. So whenever somebody's reading something from me, they're always going to be getting into myth and legend because that's that's what inspired me when I was a kid, and that's what I keep coming back to. But I will try to find new ways to investigate it and, and explore uh, it. Dick Power, who's who we all enjoyed on our show, has told us in the past that... We're big fans of Dick Power on this podcast. Indeed. I thought his name was Dick Powers, but maybe he only has one. I think he might... I think it's One's just all you need. Dick yeah, Power. Yeah. He just does different variations on it. <laughs> um, See, I'm not but, content to use the same Dick Power each time. <laughs> Whereas he's obviously been very successful with his one. <laughs> over and over. Um, we know what we're getting when we get Dick that, Power. Uh, right in his therapy. And essentially, as you write, you're working out your internal problems and issues through your books. So, yeah, to that extent, um, you're going to have a lot of the same character conflicts kind of things come up. But, uh, I mean, I'm kind of in the the same boat you are because the, the book that I'm writing now, as I've told people, has magic, which I've never written about before. And it takes place in an alternate alternative version of our world. Which is not like the Forrester universe, which is kind of an analog of our world. It's an actual alternate version. There's places named Boston and New York and Philadelphia. And it's populated by humans with a few furries. As opposed to, you know, Freestone and Paco. And right. <laughs> Port City. Port City. That was the other one. Thank you. Um, and there's no explicit sex in the books. So, as you commented before, I'm kind of like... my. This book could not be more different from the Out of Position books. But at the same time, it's something that I really wanted to explore and I really wanted to write. And the hope is, even if your fans that you've accumulated from your previous books are not interested in the new one, you hope that you'll garner new fans for this book and that there will be enough overlap that people will start to say, hey, the elements that I really liked in these books are in this book is also common to this other one. And I'm going to, you know, whatever he writes next. Um, I'll go after. Yeah. I was going to say, if I wanted to write just based on a formula, I wouldn't be attempting what I'm trying to write with Summerhill. I'll just leave that at that. Yeah, actually, we're all writing something really different from what yeah, we yeah. get accustomed to writing right now. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've had sneak peeks of Summerhill, too, and it's... Um, wow, he hasn't even finished Summerhill 1. <laughs> <laughs> As well... I can. Uh, it 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 is it is a departure. Uh, I'm really impressed at the ambition that yeah, that Cam has displayed in it. I I really hope that that says good things and not that I'm like going to fall upon some altar of pretentiousness and failure. Yeah, that wasn't a backhanded compliment. I was like, well, uh, boy, you really you really shot for the moon here, didn't you? <laughs> it's important. It's important that you tried so hard. <laughs> wow, you certainly had high expectations for yourself here, Saki Son. <laughs> I um, guess we have to give you an A for effort. <laughs> so I think to, to I think what what in case you haven't figured out the answer to your question from the discussion we've had, uh, the answer to the question is just keep challenging yourself. And if you don't want furry authors to write the same thing over and over again, then stop reading the ones that do that. And you know, certainly we've got plenty of examples of people who are not. I've said before you have to write for an audience, but that doesn't mean you have to. You, you, there needs to be some psychology there. You don't, you're not writing for what the audience uh, thinks they want. You're writing for what they don't know they want. Right. And a lot of it, I think, a lot. Well, as, a lot as, of it comes from. Go ahead. Say, as a tabletop gaming GM, I can say that you might think you know how your audience is going to respond to something, and you're going <laughs> to be wrong every time. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I. Now, what was I going to say? Um. I think there's a little bit of uh, self-confidence issues because if you write something that's really well-received and everybody says, I love the way you wrote this story and suddenly it's like your most popular thing, your impulse is, well, I want to write more stuff like that because I don't want to lose all these new fans that I've gotten. 
and then that's how you kind of get into that rut if you write something if you happen upon something popular and you want to keep writing it i mean even i did you know ended up writing a sequel to out of position but it's a different story from the first book yeah i couldn't write the same story over again and so far people seem to enjoy it actually i'm really amused that you'd bring that like oh you get known for something and all that I don't know if it still says it, but I know that a couple of years ago, the opening like lines to my entry on Wikifer said that like, oh, Kame Hirosaki writes, you know, male male adult fiction like that is known for like psychological insight or something. It's like, yeah, and then my most popular story is the one where the pizza delivery fox gets fucked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, like there you go. Um, sure, let's yeah, go with psychological insight. I, I was really amused at the. Entry, my entry, I think it's on Wikifer where they're talking about the issues and stuff that come up in my stories. I'm like, wow, people put a lot of thought into those. Yeah, I can't comment. I don't have an entry on Wikifer yet. Oh. Hint, hint. Someone that that Rapscallion get- tube has one, <laughs> however. Someone needs to get on it. It's true. Um, Does Tube actually have a Wikifer entry? No. Well, he's cross referenced with one of my old alt. Oh, that's right. Okay. I know it. I know which one you mean. Yeah. People keep confusing us. It's it's awful. Like uh, both of us are taking credit for uh, smiling the hero, which is ridiculous. I wrote that, not him. You should see the I crap think, out of him. I, I was going to say we should have you both on the show sometime, and you can argue about it. Oh, I'd love that. He has a ridiculous accent. It'll amuse you guys. All right. <laughs> um, any any other parting words on this uh, email, or have we? Are we good? Going once, going twice. Sold. Third email. All right. Hey, guys. I doubt that Cam needs another excuse to geek out about Star Wars, but here you go anyway. (laughs) Thanks, Blender. I just came across an essay for the LA Times, which explores the narrative parallels within the Star Wars saga. The author gives particular attention to the prequels, arguing that they were at least thoughtfully executed in this regard. What? Well, it's an interesting read, and he makes a pretty decent case for the relevance of episodes 1 through 3. He also glosses over the fact that self-referential cleverness and good storytelling aren't the same thing, and it's not even that self-referentially clever. Or clever this is about at as all. bad as when we fell into that nest of gundocks. I'm so delightfully Alec Guinness. <laughs> well, that, and I was also reminded of a hilarious clip in the Phantom Menace documentary, uh, which I believe he's referring to the one from by uh, Red Letter Media. During a production meeting, George Lucas talks about an, uh, the climactic battle scene with the Trade Federation, an obvious parallel to the Death Star battle in Episode 4. Lucas proudly explains, it's poetry. They're like rhyming stanzas. Poetry. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Anyway, I'd love to hear how this concept might apply to your own serial works, or even those of other authors in the community. Have you ever consciously mirrored the narrative structure of your own stories in this way? If so, do you find it worthwhile? Looking forward to your discussion as always. You may commence geeking out, Blender. You may fire when ready. Wow, you've got to jump on it. I do. Um... I don't really do serialized fiction so much anymore. I was for a little while, and then I got better. I mean, and then I stopped. Uh, <laughs> but mirroring is actually a really effective storytelling uh, you know, technique. technique. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, actually, Summerhill is a good example of this. I have you know, your, your two primary characters there. Their stories do very deliberately mirror each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the fact that the things that are happening to them are particularly similar, but their experiences in dealing what you know happens along these paths is meant at least to the reader to show you know it it it's it's a very deliberate you know parallel that I've set up through the narrative. It's the old which, concept of a foil. Yeah, well, it's not even just that. It's, uh, in, see, and this doesn't really work because nobody's read Summerhill because it's not out yet. Um, but, hi, fe- that thing a that year I from now, go back book. and listen to episode 72. Put that in your notes and be like, this is what he was talking about when he was talking about Summerhill. If um, they're listening to this, they're already listening to episode 72. No, but I said, a year from now, go back and listen to episode 72. Right, but you're telling them that in episode 72. Right, so when they listen to it now, in so February what 2011... Is, what you need to tell them is, write down 
a reminder in your Google Calendar <laughs> for a year from now to go back and listen to the Ignore me! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Kyle, you chime in. Um, I think mirroring is an effective technique, although I can't think of an example where I've used it specifically. But it, it's effective because one of the things that we talk about a lot, uh, playing with audience expectations. And what mirroring does is you've built up an expectation by your primary storyline, and in your secondary storyline, you know that the audience expects something else, something similar to happen, and you play against that, uh, and you can use that very effectively in dramatic ways. I think on almost a meta level, you do that with Shadow of the Father, where it's like, hey, here's like you know the the literal and figurative successor to Vol, both the character and the book. Right. It's like, and it's completely different. Oh no, I went from gay courtly romance to you know Renaissance stabby, adventure, stabby. yeah, and stabbing. Yes, and lots death. of stabbing, and lots of violence against, and more mice. dead foxes than Cam Hirasaki can take a shit at. They're, they're good cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Did I just call did I just call dead things my shtick? Wow, that was Freudian. Yay. <laughs> there are good cinematic examples like uh Run Lola Run is one of my favorites. Uh, uh that's yeah, that's right out there in uh, the open. Yeah, I, I love the I love the mirroring in that. Um but uh I can't think of more subtle ones right now, so the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> <laughs> subtle is the one thing those movies are not. Oh, there's many things those movies are not. I don't think subtle is the only There's nothing one. subtle about love can't save you, Padme. Only my new powers can. You know, I'd just like to point out to you, KM, that, you know, remember how after Return of the Jedi we got the Ewok adventure? So far we have not had the Gungan adventure. Just point that out. Hey, as email number two this episode pointed out, there are in fact non there are in fact non annoying Gungans like Captain Tarpolt, who was the hero of the ground battle of Naboo during the fight against the Trade Federation. Sorry, I'm not gonna keep doing that. It's like well, a but, button well, I can push and make it go. I love it. We, we've also we've also not gotten the Coruscant holiday special <laughs> yet. Yeah. Be Arthur, rest in peace. I raise my glass to you. Instead, we got the Indiana Jones nuclear fridge. Oh, oh. that was um, the biggest two-hour-long waste of Kate Blanchett ever. Actually, anyway. you know, I'm, I think I'm in the minority here, but I actually liked Crystal Skull. I, get out now. <laughs> No, what I get do, out. I'm, 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 I'm serious. Get away from your microphone. Wow, You're off the podcast. Dude, that's one that of the much? few movies that I saw, and then I saw a second time and thought it was worse. What What I do when I watch I, it is there part like I, I love Indiana Jones from my childhood. You know, it's just right. like so I watch it for the parts that are Indiana Jones, and then the parts that are not. Like my brain just goes redacted. Well, there was actually, no swinging there's, at all. There's, there's an no example of mirroring. First movie to the third movie. Yeah, because there was no second movie. Or fourth. Hey man, without the second the st- movie, you don't have short round. No, the, the second has. The oh second wait, has a tr- yeah, it doesn't have Willie. Short round is actually. Yeah. I, I'm really convinced that that Spielberg put Willie in the movie just so that the kid would not be annoying. Well, he would not be the most annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by comparison. Actually, like, I have to say the best part of Temple of Doom is the opening sequence in the bedding with Lao Che. I oh, think we can all agree on that. Oh come on, like the bridge thing with Kali Ma. Like, yeah, oh. that was okay. That was awesome. I don't know. It's, it's, right. it's like one antidote Kit for the poison you just drank. <laughs> all right. Delicious. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. All right. So, but that was see what fault. you've done to us, Blender. There's not. Okay, so they're probably not mirroring, but at least they're referential. Mm. But they're cleverly self-referential. It's like yes. poetry. It's like poetry. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, some of the best lines and not the best, but some great lines from that movie are like, "Oh, what is that? Ark of the Covenant? You sure?" <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of an example of that that would be, there, but it is kind of mirrored because the whole point of Ark of the Covenant was it was a relic that was not supposed to be brought back to right. humanity, and the whole thing of Holy Grail is kind of the same thing. Right. Also and Nazis. The same kind of story. Also, not, I hate these guys. <laughs> um, and so they they use a similar story effectively. And you know what the path is. It's just kind of the obstacles and the villains that are different. But it's compelling enough to get us to go through the movie again. I don't know how many times you, we could watch Indiana Jones right. go after religious artifact, but clearly 
artifacts from a space alien culture are not uh, do not, not qualify. Not quite as compelling, yes. I, I won't get sucked into this whole argument, but so <laughs> too late for for mirroring. Uh, what would you say people often use mirroring for? Is it to kind of like illustrate character progression, or you know, um, well, we I think to reinforce theme is a big one, we, or to highlight all, a choice. We all do mirroring in some way or another. I mean, our, our storytelling is mirroring. We're we're reaffirming the way that the universe should be through storytelling. I mean, um, when you get down to the very basic level, we're all telling the same stories over and over and over. Um, so it's just a matter of how much, how much detail and, and differentiation can you put in that to make the story seem new and fresh and original. Um, would you say there was Murin and Scott Pilgrim between him and his roommate with the different relationships? His roommate keeps accumulating... On a basic level... Where it seems like every time Scott Pilgrim defeats an evil ex, his boyfriend gains a new boy, or his roommate gains yeah. a new boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, but that's actually something I actually have to go back and watch it for like the fifth time, and and paid more direct attention to that. So I was actually going to go back and go like, okay, if you want to strip the Star Wars prequels down to their bare essentials and try to come up with a mirroring example here. In the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, you have three movies where Luke and Anakin Skywalker learn the ways of the Jedi, only in their third movie to have a confrontation confrontation with Palpatine, where they have to choose between, you know, the light side and the dark side. And in that sense, like, okay, like, there is some mirroring there. Although, to be fair, the original trilogy holds up Joseph Campbell's hero's journey way, way, way better than the prequel trilogy does to the point where the episodes one through three are pretty much garbage. Um, but, but yeah, that, that I, I already had one aneurysm today. I don't need two. That basic storyline. Right. So, um, we are, we've been told twice now that we have only a few minutes left. So I'm going to wind that down and just say, uh, Mirren is good when used well. Yes. Um, and bad when used badly. And right, <laughs> because no, I'm not going to. And that. callbacks to your own work can be satisfying. Yeah, and they're fun for the readers. It's kind yes. of like, I mean, it's a reward for knowing shit. A discussion for another time yeah. is that um, people actually get a thrill out of using jargon, mm-hmm. and it's this whole sort of in-group bias thing where, like, I'm part of a group because I understand these words, and that's why a lot of people like to use these sort of furry yeah. specific terms. Yeah, if you grok that, I don't yeah. know. Yes. That's what makes Arrested but, Development so funny. Yes. yes. So, the little self-referential things are fun to put in, but you can't make the story rely on them. Fair? Fair. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, I want to thank Not Jacoby and Not Tube for coming on our show, participating in our discussions, making them more lively and reading. Um, check the FA website for the two story scenes that we'll post, and Put in the comments on the story who you think the author was. Yeah. If you want to put in a poll? reason, that would be cool. Um, uh, off that the after. air. We'll okay. do that off the air. I do have to say, actually, um, that I'm amused that both of our little quick snippets kind of stand on their own. Yeah. I don't think that they really need to be. They could be, but, I mean, they stand on their own as is. Yep. Go us. Hold on. This is how to me patting myself on the back. And... Um, Write uh, write more emails on seatpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, Kyle Gold on Live Journal, Kyle Gold on Twitter, Kyle on FA, Cam Hirasaki on all three of those. Where can people find you guys? Uh, not Tube on Twitter. Okay. Um, I'm going to steal Jacoby's Twitter account. So you can <laughs> I already told people that. that you were here that Jacoby was here. So <laughs> this whole farce was for nothing, <laughs> man. And use our unsheathed hashtag. Your clever you, ruse has been uncovered. When you post about us on Twitter, use our unsheathed hashtag. Uh, come see us at the Fur Fiesta live show next week or the week after, and and uh, come to Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle and say hi. Um, and uh, Good night. Keep writing.